welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Blue. Uh, make sure to find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts, and please rate and review uh, the program. Um, yeah. Blake Murphy, your host, Wayne Blue. Sorry, we're a little distracted because the Raptors just had a press conference, and uh, we are working to get the clips ready for those because... Lots yeah, of discussion from last night's game. It's just their usual practice media availability. Yeah. We, we don't need to, But uh, Scotty right, Barnes fine. spoke and Darko spoke, uh, and uh, you can guess what they probably spoke about. And it wasn't, holy crap, yes. Webby had 10 blocks, and he's so cool. That's what we're going to talk about a little bit, but uh, not what the Raptors were being asked about today at practice. Yeah, this is why uh, your man literally froze on air as, uh, as I came up. I forgot to tell you that this show is brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. It's time to get fired up. Um, yeah, so we will bring you those quotes when we have them. Our producer, Ahmed, is upstairs furiously clipping those together and, and getting those ready for the show. Uh, but in the meantime, the Raptors lose last night uh, to the Spurs. Not particularly close. They lose 122-99. Darko has to call the first timeout after a minute and 20 seconds. He has to call the second timeout. Raptors down the entire way. Never really looked like they were com- anywhere close to competing with a team that is literally the second worst team in the league by record. Third uh, worst third? now. Wow. Detroit and Washington. This is the okay. this is obviously the right. huge silver lining. Is it's likelier today than yesterday that the Raptors picked thirty first instead of thirty third. This is a new version of tanking right here. Yeah, it's a two for one tanking special. It's, it's not that. It's not that. Uh, it was really bad, man. Like you mentioned, the timeout eighty seconds into the game, down eight nothing. Looked like they had never even seen tape of Wemby before, even though uh, they have played him already this year, and, and he's yeah. the most kind of must see guy uh, in the league this season. Um, so that was bad. And then, yeah, now it wasn't even seven full minutes into the game before the second timeout came around. Mm-hmm. Wemby was already like, okay, everyone, I'm on five by five watch. I'm on like yep. quadruple double watch. Uh, let's go. Look, we haven't seen a player like Wemby before. He's incredibly special, but to come out and play in the first quarter and really the whole, the whole first three quarters, like you had never even thought of the possibility of someone like Wemby before I was pretty bad. You also didn't just get cooked by Wemby. You lost the minutes he didn't play. Devin Vassell had a great game. Um, Jeremy Sohan was pretty solid. Like He was really good defensively. Yeah, yeah. Like you got, like Keldon Johnson came in off the bench, was like plus 50 or something like that. Mm. Like you got beat by a Spurs team that, again, before last night, I won 10 games. Um, and it's a pattern, man. We'll talk about the Scotty end of game stuff as we go in the show. And obviously we'll do a lot of positive Wemby stuff. But this is too big a habit now where they're no like I get that some people want losses because they'd rather have the pick this year etc etc even if you were blatantly tanking coming out and getting pasted by 23 down 30 at one point to a team with 10 wins Mm -hmm. that is not how that is supposed to look that's not how the energy and focus is supposed to look that's not how the start of games are supposed to look this is becoming a bit of a pattern man yeah, again, the Spurs don't typically do that. They had lost seven in a row. They had lost every game on this road trip. They had to just, not great teams. They had just played the Brooklyn Nets and lost by 20 points. Dennis Schroeder, friend of the program, came off the bench for 15 points and 12 assists in they that They are chanting Dennis Schroeder's name at Barclays Center, and then that team comes in and beats you, you know, at one point yeah. by 30. I think the final is, what, 23? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, 30 point, you're getting 30-pieced by a team that Dennis Schroeder just, like, literally had the crowd chanting for it. Like, remember mm. Jalen Rose standing on the scorer's table in the middle of, like, a big comeback in, like, a 30-win season? That's what the Nets just did, and yeah. you lost to the team that 
they did that against. And look, uh, I, I think it's clear that the Spurs played a really good game. Yeah. And of course, I think the Raptors were taken by surprise by it. I think the Raptors also played a really poor game. But I think it, it begins and ends with just Wemby. I mean, the yeah. this is the second time I've seen him in person. First time I've seen him in Toronto. And everyone made sure to get there early for the game. There was a lot of media before the game as well. Everyone is just like sitting along the baseline or sitting along the courtside seats, essentially getting ready in position to see him come out, warm up, and just like go through the routine. And we have to start there because the story of the game is Victor. Victor yeah. just put up, uh, you know, a triple-double with blocks, right? Ten blocks. The funniest thing with the, the blocks, and I went back to watch it, it was so impressive to me. So he had ten blocks. Nine times after he blocked the shot, the Spurs recovered a possession. And the one time he didn't recover possession was when he had the double block on Scotty. So nine out of nine times when he played defense and that resulted in him getting a block, the Spurs got possession out of it. Which is not the the usual, right? Like yeah, a lot yeah. of time blocks end up out of bounds or, or they get deflected somewhere else. It's a huge, like, it's always the thing old heads point to about we don't have the numbers for it, but like Bill Russell always came down with the ball yeah. after the block when you hear old heads talk about it. And it's like anytime someone like spikes a block into mm -hmm. the fourth row, people are like, nah, Bill Russell wouldn't have, you would have kept possession. And it's, yeah. That's a hugely valuable thing because... Like, a block is obviously good anyway. Eats up the shot clock, forces you into a worse shot and stuff. But that is a possession-ending block, which is obviously way more valuable. And, yeah, nine of them is crazy. <laughs> nine is nuts. You want a perfect nine for nine. It's not just the ten blocks, but it's also the way he dominated the game and the way he sort of approached it. Um, you know, even just watching him warm up and stuff like that, I wasn't aware. There's of different depths. It's it's a totally different depth with him, man. It's like the the shooting was, it was on a different level. The warm-up dunks that he was doing was on a different level. The fact that Although everyone's he, buzzing and looking at him, man. He, he had a rough layup line for dunks, like right a couple minutes before <laughs> the game. We we were sitting up there like waiting, and he kept throwing himself self lobs, and he just couldn't, he just couldn't get it to uh, get it to go there for a little bit. Um, yeah. So yeah, look, the stat line is the stat line: twenty-seven points, fourteen rebounds, five assists, two steals, and ten blocks. He's mm -hmm. the first person to do a points, rebounds, blocks, triple double since Clint Capella. Um, oh, I thought you were going to say since Whiteside. No. Whiteside had a couple of those. Clint Capella did it in 2021. The last Pancake one before that Mamba. was Anthony Davis. Um, Anthony Davis was also the last person to do it in a 20-point game. Uh -huh. If you want a 25-point game with five assists, you got to go back to, like, David Robinson. Yeah. Um, he's the first rookie to do it since David Robinson. Like, there's just however yeah. you want to capture it like that. There's nobody who does this. Um, and, like... He's scratching the surface. Like, he he only played 29 minutes, and he had seven turnovers, mm -hmm. several of which were, like, completely avoidable as he gets more experience and learns how teams are going to defend him and things like that. So, um, man, it's it's wild. Did you have a a favorite, like, Wemby highlight? Oh, sorry. I have one last thing on the, the stat line. Can I be, like, a stats truther here for a second? Yeah. Okay, cool. Go ahead. The 10th and final block yeah. should not have been a block. Why? Grady didn't hit the rim on his own shot and caught the ball. It should have been a travel. Grady shot wow. again. Yeah. Um, Boo. But like, Boo. but Wemby would still get credit Boo because he Boo. he scared Grady into yeah. the air ball and then he, uh, Grady caught his own rim. But yeah, obviously it's incredible. Uh, did you have a, a favorite or a couple of favorite of, of the Wemby moments? I got a whole top five of craziest Wemby plays because that was the thing okay. I kept mentioning leading up to this game was the reason you have to go watch him, especially if you can get a chance to see him in person is he will make you he'll make five plays that you have never seen before in that sort of from those angles or from a man of that size. Okay. The first one, the Spurs throw him a backdoor lob. He misses it on the dunk attempt, catches his own dunk, and then he throws a no look dime to Jeremy Sohan cutting through the lane for the dunk. 
and it was the beautiful look away. I think this one was actually clipped out and went around on social media. But like a genuinely no-look play where because he didn't look at it, both RJ Barrett and Jacoperto, who were both like look scramble, look confused, looking at Wemby, being like, oh my God, he just got his own rebound after he blocked him on a dunk. Uh with him not looking, actually fed Sohan with with the with the. It's just such a beautiful play for a man of that size. Another play where, you know, second quarter in particular, Wemby was just living on that right block, turning around, facing up, and just giving guys work. And one of the two plays was he faced up against Kelly Olnick. Olnick played great defense. Probably the best defense played against uh, Wemby last night was by Kelly, which is mm-hmm. a little surprising, I guess, considering you wouldn't think of Kelly as a defensive player, but. Did a good job against him, forced him in a couple turnovers. This time, does everything perfectly. Kelly Olenek, who's like at least 6'10", is facing up against Wemby. Wemby drives against him. Kelly beats him to the spot, jumps up, hands fully outstretched. Emmanuel quickly comes over with the rotating help. So there's a double team. Both guys there, verticality, challenging Wemby on the play. And they're perfect. And Wemby just throws in a jump hook over top of both of them. Is it, that's the soft unexpected. touch off the glass one, right? With that's, just a little kiss? Yes, because yeah. I know you got a second one where um, he takes off. What's the other one? He's also on the right block. He yeah. takes off, and I think he has one. His back foot is on the dotted circle inside the paint, and he takes off from there, and he stretches his way for a dunk. Like, and, like, the the dude, angle that he pulls the ball out from, like, you'd think, like, a guy has to go up strong with two hands to bring the ball up and be yeah. able to dunk on someone, but, like, it honestly looked like he confused Yak, and just, like, as Yak was guarding the front hand, he just pulls the ball out of his back pocket with the other hand. Yep. And dunks it on him. Like, I don't... The physics of having arms that long and just being such a terrific player where, like, like obviously, if you're defending him, you're in an immediate 911 situation. Mm-hmm. But, like, you have to play the dominant side or, or like, the foot that's got middle or yes. whatever. And he can just, like, ah, with my backhand, I'm just pull it out and, and also dunk it on you that way. It's... That's the thing. You don't have enough limbs to guard that. <laughs> you can't really out-leverage him. Like, he will just outstretch you most times. And then another one where he's driving in transition, does a Euro step, and Kelly Olenek is there in position to try to take the charge, ends up falling over to try to sell the charge, but creates a whole crowd. In any case, as Kelly's falling over, Wemby just reaches underneath Kelly's leg somehow and drops a bounce pass in traffic while all this chaos is happening, perfectly to Keldon Johnson, who dunks the ball on the other side. Like, again, he's guys seven foot five. Yeah. He's um, on an eight foot wingspan. You have to go see him the next time he's. Anywhere near where you are. You have to. The other... Must see basketball. Yeah, this is incredible. Um, the other one, and I'm going to forget. I got to... Like, I'm literally just going to search LOL in my game notes. Uh, control <laughs> F. Um, so there's... There are actually a bunch. Oh, there's the um, the Keldon Johnson um, outlet to him where, like, it doesn't... It's purely just a, like, well, Wemby's up there somewhere. Yep, yep. I don't need to throw a good pass. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm just going to launch the ball and someone will get it. Yep. It's, uh, it's crazy, man. Like, it really does, like, obviously not to overstate it because they've won 11 games this year, but it really mm-hmm. does change the possibilities that you have as a San Antonio Spurs just in terms of, like, how you play basketball. Like, like for all these guys, it's, like, it's crazy that they haven't found a point guard because the, the point guard role, and Trey Jones was good yesterday, um, but the point guard role is, like, just throw the ball up. Yeah. No, Wemby, honestly, this is no disrespect to NBA players. This is not a coming from an arrogant place. Wemby is so good, I feel like I could record an assist playing you, a game. Yeah. Yeah. You probably could. Yeah. That should be a fan contest. That should be one of the, the halftime uh, acts in... um At, at the All-Star? <laughs> at the All-Star game. Can you get an assist? 
yeah. to Victor Romanova with like who, whoever guarding him, Jakob. Let's just say Jakob's yeah. in the way. I mean, the the issue here is not like who is guarding Wemby. It's who's guarding you to get that oh, pass off. Uh, no one's guarding. We know me, you're not the most willing of passers in in the first place. Nobody's guarding um, me. I'm throwing a I'm throwing a wide yeah, open lob. Jose Alvarado is uh, oh. is a lot different, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable. And then like even like all the dunks or sorry, all the blocks are worthy uh, of appreciation. And it's funny, like there's the quote after the game, Wemby got asked basically, uh, like, do you feel an intimidation factor mm. when you're starting to block shots like that? And his answer was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I, f- I feel it. How could like, how could you not? Um, <laughs> it's like interviewing Mike Tyson. It's like, yeah. do you think the other guys are afraid you'll punch you'll punch them in the yeah. face? It's like, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, that is the that is the Mike Tyson quote is everyone's got a game plan until they get punched in the mouth. That's like yeah. Wemby's, that's going to be Wemby eventually is like, yeah, everyone's got an offensive system until uh-huh. I block eight of their shots. Yeah. And then like, so let me ask you this. This okay. We'll turn it to the Raptors side of things here a little bit. What did you think of how the Raptors tried to attack Wemby because I could see that I could see someone making the case that well at least they stayed aggressive at least they were still going at him and fine but I would also see the case of that is bad why would you keep going at Wemby like they Mm -hmm. didn't do a good job pulling him out of the paint they didn't do a good job if they could pull him out of the paint of like okay attack somewhere else now that he's out of the paint or whatever and some of that is Wemby's just going to make plays and and I appreciate you know a Scotty Barnes still wanting to go at him here and there but how did you? How do you think they respond on a night that they shot mm-hmm. uh, under forty percent and uh, eight of thirty-one on threes and didn't get to the free throw line? Uh, what did you think of their <laughs> offensive approach? Well, first, I don't think they had a great plan. I think that's the first and foremost, right? Because if you're going to score against Wemby, and of course, it's always easy to say, "Well, this is how MB did it when he had seventy on him," but you know, I think some of the principles at least apply. Like you need to bump them down low neutralize them just a little bit and then try to like finish up and over or maybe around. Of course, that's a lot easier said than done when he is that much bigger than everybody on your team, including your biggest players in Jakob and Scotty. But, you know, again, you just, you need to put some sort of a bump into him, create a little bit of space and then shoot over the top. There are other instances where like Kelly Olenek, for example, shot him a ball fake a couple of times and was able to like get around him and elude him with some trickery. Like you can't do what, you know, what, Scotty and Jakob tried to do in the start of the third quarter, which was actually kind of funny to watch even just as it happened. It was like, you know, the Raptors got the ball to Jakob and they started clearing out. And I'm like, oh, they actually want to go make Jakob go one-on-one hell in a cell style <laughs> with Wemby. Okay. All right. Sure. Let's, let's see how it goes. And Jakob is like, all right, I'm going to back him down. Then I'm going to turn around. Then I'm going to up fake. I'm going to get him to get closer to me. Then I'm going to step under and through and finish off the glass. Pat in the move. I'm sure he's done that to lots of bigs in his life. Does the move. All the things happen. He gets all the steps. He gets to the layup with a left hand. And Wemby's just like, actually, no. <laughs> I like you, but no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> just an easy block at the basket. And then Scotty, a couple plays later, he's like, all right, it's my team. I'm going to go against them. Let me see what I can do against them. You know, he does his little half spin and, you know, tries to get back to his strong hand, the right hand, and Wemby blocks him. He gets his own rebound, Scotty does, tries to go back with a strong putback, and Wemby blocks him again. And it's like, yeah, you you need a better plan than that. You need to do what Kelly does with, like, the little ball fix and up fix and stuff like that and and hopefully step around him and through him and, and to, to get to the layup. Or you need to really bump him and to create some of that, you know, Gap. Otherwise, you can't just do your regular moves against Wemby. That's the thing. 
And it's like, you know, you look and it's obviously a tough night for Emmanuel quickly shooting the ball. If a yeah. couple more of those threes drop, maybe that helps open things up. Um, it's not a good night to be R.J. Barrett. I know he shot six of ten, but it was more about the shots he he didn't take in that one where just like those... those Open threes, he turned out. Yeah, and like the second side cuts, and, and or like the ball swings around, and you can drive. Like Wemby covers too much space for that to really thrive. They also mm-hmm. San Antonio did a really good job snuffing out uh, the Raptors' transition game generally uh, in that one. Even though they had seventeen turnovers, mm, they, they yeah. do a good job getting back and things like that. Um, and then yeah, like for the and this is this has happened two games in a row now. Like bad night for Gary Denosho. Also, oh, yeah. and like, look, there are bigger problems than that, and we're going to have the Scotty discussion, so I don't want to say, I don't want to be, like, blaming it on Gary, RJ, and, and quickly, but if you're looking at a team that has Victor Wembanyama in the paint, mm. you need your perimeter players to come through, yeah. and neither of the three of them had particularly good games. And that's a freaky thing, too, because to tie it back to Wemby, there was one play in the first quarter where quickly was just trying to drive and, like, try to attack a closeout, and he had, like, gun hips, hips, like, level with Wemby, and he's quicker, so you would think he'd get past him. And Webby just reached around him and then poked the ball away. Yeah. And I was like, how? That doesn't happen. Uh, quickly is generally much more of a safer ball handling than that. But again, it's like playing against an alien. Um, yeah, I mean, to your point, yeah, your perimeter players need to step up there. The three-point shooting needs to be there. Quickly, I thought he got a lot of good looks. He just couldn't drain yeah. any of them. And I think the process was good. But there is some concern to me in terms of just like the ups and the downs for him are just really, really notable and i think that's fine that's totally normal for a young player um especially one that is new to starting now versus coming off the bench but i do feel like when you're putting him in that core three you know somebody's got to be consistently steady and ideally all three are consistently yeah. steady for you it's on a tonight core, basis it's a core one right now is and, and then guys yeah. battling to be a part of that like okay look okay. there's no there's no way around that quickly has been a little disappointing overall and like look last night he shot two of 12 one of nine on threes Whatever that th- those nights are going to happen as he figures this out, and but the issue is defensively. Yes, so that's where I was going. Yeah. Is like he's been really underwhelming defensively. He yeah, has not right. been the defender we saw in New York, and maybe that is Thibodeau scheme related. Maybe that is having better defenders around mm-hmm. him. Um, but that's an area that you know you have more control over than is your three going to drop or like sure. you know yeah. like look you have control over if your floater game is there versus if you're more aggressive at the rim. But you know every coach and player in the history of basketball said you you have more control over your defensive effort and your defensive execution night to night, and that's been uh, like that's supposed to be there as a as a impact stabilizer while you figure the offense out. Mm. Um, so that's been not that anyone played particularly well defensively last night, but it's been a it's been a little bit of an underwhelming start for for quickly here. Yeah, for sure, and I think we see the highs, which is good. Yeah. Like if we didn't see any highs then you would be genuinely in a panic. But you see the highs. It's just how do you get him there offensively? Because that's where he primarily is going to do uh, the bulk of his contributing, um, especially with the three-point shooting, the off-the-dribble package. Like, all those things are the things that the Raptors really need, and none of it's really coming off for him right now mm-hmm. on a night-to-night basis. For the RJ, we understand that he's able to get downhill and get to his left hand. And he did it a couple times yesterday, which was good. He also got blocked by Wemby a couple times, which is, which is not good. The limitation there is a three-point shooting for him. Sometimes he's not even willing to take them. And, you know, it's it's almost similar to Pascal in a way. You know, it's like you can find other ways to score for sure, but you also need to be good in terms of the team concept of scoring, in terms of, like, when the ball swings to you, you got to be able to make a playoff of that. And the more he's not taking those threes, the more it's going to affect his uh, ability to get downhill and attack because teams are just going to sit back on him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I understand it's not a strength, but it's something he's got to stick through with because he needs to get there. Those are the secondary things. I think the main thing from last night is just you didn't see – a battle of two stars, which is what happened last time you saw Wemby versus 
Scotty, and Scotty actually got the better of Wemby in that one. That was early in the season, and the Raptors made that huge comeback and won in overtime. Scotty was a massive part of that. Probably the best I've seen him play in yeah. that fourth quarter, and we were so effusive with the praise. This was the exact opposite of that. It was, and like you can look at the stat line, and yeah, it's three of fifteen, and Wemby blocked some of those. Scotty did an okay job, at least trying to get his own rebound on some of them. He actually, he almost did. What did we? What did we end up settling on? On calling it the the ten point, the Josh Hart triple double. He he almost got oh, there. He had seven, the, nine, the and nine triple double. Uh, no, yeah, the one where you just skate across. Oh, but yeah. we, we had talked yeah, about right, it with Josh right, Hart. Josh but Hart yeah. Seven points, nine rebounds, nine assists. So you know the playmaking's there, but he had five turnovers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think more than the actual output is what what it felt like throughout the game. And it, like you said, it didn't feel like star versus star. It felt like Scotty got pretty discouraged pretty early in that game, and that affected his energy and the force he was playing with. And he tried to get it back a little bit there in the second half and then got blocked a couple times in a row. Yeah. And it just kind of went from there. And there were a number of moments where, like, it's one thing if you if you are going toe-to-toe with a guy and he has your number that night and you just don't have it. But things like you make a bad turnover and you don't get back in transition or you get beat on the first move on the block in a post-up and you don't can, you don't finish the possession, mm-hmm. um, things like that are, are tougher because I think those can bleed into um, the energy of the rest of the team. Now, it's not his fault that, uh, you know, the whole team came out flat to start each half, but those kind of things, like, it, it does flow through him now. Mm-hmm. And he is, you know... Su- he is the on-court leader of this team now, but that also carries a responsibility to be the emotional leader of this team. And we'll play the clips a little later in the show when we have them. But Scotty more or less acknowledged this at practice today. He said he had three or four turnovers in the first quarter that led to easy fast break points. Um, the emotion he shows it and not getting back, he, he admitted that it cost them. And it's more being me frustrated with myself and the way I'm playing, um, which I can appreciate. You're a competitive guy. You're not playing particularly well. But part of his learning over this, you know, the rest of this year and future years as he grows into, you know, hopefully into a leader as well as being a top player for the Raptors is going to be, you know, how to find that balance of, yes, you care a lot and that's good and you can show emotion, but you can't let it bleed into your play in a way that that affects the energy on the floor and just honestly last night gave mm-hmm. away points. Yeah, I mean, all that is completely fair. Um, I, I, I struggle with the I, the I care a lot. And care a lot would be you run back in transition. And there's so many instances last night where, you know, it's different when you see it on the broadcast versus when you see it in person. Because um, the broadcast will follow the action. A turnover yeah. play, it goes the other way. You're going to follow the other team now score on offense. A lot of the times you can just watch how long it takes for him to get back in transition. And not like he fell over on a drive. Now he has to pick himself back up. You know, then he has to sprint all the way back, whatever. Like, he's he's on his two feet. He gets blocked or he turns the ball over has some sort of emotional reaction to it, and then takes five, six, seven, eight seconds to get back. Yeah, it's unacceptable. Just to, just to like even he, cross half, to even get back into the TV frame, mm-hmm. right? In, in person, it's even it's way more noticeable than that. Well, because and you see that so it's, not a, it's not a slow jog back or not something happened. Yeah. It's, a, it's a take a couple steps, collect my you know, yeah. uh, wits or emotions or whatever, right. and then get back. And it's, you know, and there, there's that. There was an instance last night where off a turnover, um, it, I think made like a frustration read in transition defense that ended up leaving the rim exposed, trying to yep. trying to get a steal or, or man the ball instead. So and that like, was, he was early in the first quarter. He threw a behind-the-back pass. This is the one to Jakob? The one, no, to nobody. I don't oh, even know right. who it was. Okay. Straight to the Spurs. Then on the f- turn in possession, he's level with Wemby, and he's the last man back because he had the ball bringing the ball up. And instead of running with Wemby all the way, he instead sprints forward into the play to try to pressure the ball or something. I don't even know. That's not a good defensive read by any means. And then they just throw the pass from like half court to Wemby who catches the lob on a reverse and finishes it. 
Yeah, and like, yeah. like I get it. You thought going to the ball, but like your no, first, no, no, your no, first not... fire is the. I mean, your first fire against San Antonio is always pick up Wemby, yep. but it's the rim first and then the ball yep. in transition defense. So that and and I don't know. There were other examples where he didn't even get back into the into the play like that uh, to <laughs> yeah. even make a make a mistake. And the one that stuck with me honestly was Wemby's posting him up at one point right in front of the Raptors bench. And Scotty's got good, like low base at first. The, the shot's not really there. And then Wemby beats him baseline. Um, and like, this is a more of a Wemby big picture talk, but like, I don't know that teams are ever going to be able to like double his posts when he goes baseline the way that we do with other bigs, mm. where like they're a little more prodding or you can take away angles and get it under their hands because like he has the ability to just like reach out and finish from so many different ways. Like, yeah, like the baseline is not the same restriction for him that it is for everyone else. Sure, his yeah. arms are so long and his strides are so long. Anyway, he beats Scotty baseline. Um, and then Jakob actually ends up coming back. Jakob gets called for the foul, but he almost pins Wemby mm-hmm. on the backboard. But Scotty completely gave up on the play. Dude, he just stood there. His he hands are down at his sides. Looked. And, like, yeah. that's that's one That's why that, you can't tell me it's care. Yeah. That's not care. That's not, like, I, I hate to Yeah, I hate you to foul lose. out in 18 minutes because you're trying to make too many plays and you're yeah. making fouls of, of, you know, of commission instead of omission. Yeah. Um, it's tough, man. It's it's not a good look as as he gets handed the, the reins here both on the court and, like, like, look at who's left around the locker room. Like, he's the leader of this team now. Yeah. Um, and that's, we can acknowledge that he's 22 and that it's a brand new role. He's only been the number one guy for a couple weeks here. Um, it's going to take some time. But you really have to hope that a night like last night and the response to it, the response to him leaving the court yeah. early after, you know, Darko said he thought it was a shot clock violation and the game was over. Mm-hmm. But either way, Scotty took accountability for that at practice. You have to hope that this is one of those, you know, light goes on moments about what it does mean to be a leader on a night that you're not playing your best. Yeah, and I think anytime this discussion gets brought up, um, people want to throw other things in the way. Like, you know, there were there moments where DeMar DeRozan didn't get back on defense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Were there moments where Kyle or Fred or Pascal, whoever you want to put in this mix, you know, didn't get back on defense? I'm sure there were moments where Kawhi didn't get back on defense. Yeah, I think Chris Herring, back when he was at Grantlander 538, I actually wrote about this because DeMar and Kyle were, like, among the league leaders as far as we could track it Mm. in, like, you fall down and don't get back quickly enough. Yeah. So he's not the first guy to deal with this, but, like, yeah. I think that you can always, like, throw other sort of facets in this, but I don't think it's, like, I think these are such important learning moments for a young team looking to make the next step and for Scotty looking to make the jump to becoming a leader for this team and hopefully bringing them to the heights that those other guys did because it's like you need to sit with it when you actually have a bad game like this. There needs to be a discussion, and I'm happy that they had a discussion. You know, I'm happy that Darko called it out, uh, at least, you know, in terms of the conversations that he had. I'm happy that Scotty acknowledged it as well because you can't just, like, Every single time something happens, you just deflect and you say, well, this, 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 this. That's not productive. That's in the past. This is now. You are the future and you are the now, right? And you can't let instances like last night happen on a consistent basis. You are guaranteed to lose when your star player quits that often on that many plays. Yeah. And it doesn't matter who it is. Like, you know what I mean? So you have to grow in that sense. And I, I guess my question to you is just like, have, are, are there instances, can we point to certain instances where it's like a player grew in the mentality? Because I think sometimes when you see adversity, adversity does reveal that character, right? I mm-hmm. thought last night was an adverse moment, right? And the character was, you know, not revealing in the ways that I think that we would like to see. We would love to see the compete. We would love to see the scrap, trying to go right back at Wemby. And even if you got blocked, go back at him in the next play, not disengage. Can 
can you get that back? Like, can can you improve in mentality? Yeah, absolutely. You can. Okay. Okay. Yeah, there are there are like, look, we we actually just got a, a question from Jaspreet on, on Twitter about how losing affects um, players, especially when they've come from like winning their whole lives, and there's no answer. Like, this is going to depend on the person and the culture mm-hmm. around him and the way that they respond to. Him. There are countless examples of guys who got broken by it. There are countless examples of guys who got into losing programs, stayed there too long, and built bad habits that are mm-hmm. like, you know, like. Look at the Washington Wizards and sure. the jokes we yeah, make yeah. about Jordan Poole now and things like that. But Man, also but look at Jordan Poole. He's having a tough, tough couple of Yeah, about weeks. as bad yeah. as it is. And yeah. then there are examples of guys who, you know, have been humbled like this and, and let it, you know, really fuel where they were going. Mm-hmm. There are guys who it's just clicked for late. Like, there's no there's no one answer. All we can do is look at what's happening right sure. now and say, yeah. if this were to continue, like right now, it looks like a problem. Mm-hmm. And look, there's nothing saying that. At 22, Scotty Barnes can't use this, understand it, yeah. and, you know, the next adverse moment handles it a little better, and it won't be linear, but it, but he improves. But there's also nothing saying that he will improve for sure mm-hmm. because there are guys for whom it's just never clicked and it's never come around. So, um, you know, it, it's going to come down to the individual and how Scotty answers not only this being, you know, hey, you got – your team got sunned by Wemby a little bit. You lost the star versus star battle. You let your emotions bleed into the court. But, like – this is also the first time that this is something like this has happened with the Raptors where Scotty is the voice everyone wants to talk to. Like mm-hmm. Fred for Fred for a couple of years was the guy that would have to go out there after after bad games and talk. And then it was Pascal a little bit or Jakob. Um, you know, Scotty is now in this position for the first time where he's going to have to be publicly accountable, not just for himself, but for the team's performance because you're the guy. And how he responds to all of that stuff is um you know, really, it's going to determine a lot about what his ceiling is and where this franchise can go. That's—I yeah. don't mean to put extra pressure on him, but when you are the number one guy, yeah. that is not just about your usage rate and how many front court touches you have and how many dribbles per touch and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it, or what your BPM is. Like this is also about what you are and what you develop into as a leader off the court. And again, lots of time for that. Yeah. But this is going to be a big challenge for him the rest of the year because the Raptors aren't going to win a lot of games. There are going to be a lot of nights where he's frustrated, whether with himself or the team's mm-hmm. performance, and we'll have to see over these next 30 games, you know, an improvement in those areas. Do you think it was fair for the, the franchise to put all this on him immediately? I mean, it's year three, so it's not immediate. Okay. And there were there were those pieces around, and it didn't work out. And there were obviously, you know, rumors and suggestions about what that those conflicting styles were, were mm-hmm. like and things like that. There's a new head coach who, who's in here. You know, like they have... They've, They've changed, changed every single piece. You're yeah, right. There You're are right. only three players left who were here before the deadline last year. Yeah, honestly, you can't tell me with any certainty that Chris Boucher and Gary Trent Jr. are going to be on this team past next year. Chris, and, Chris is also... And even if they were, are those yeah. voices that carry more weight than Scotty Barnes's or that Scotty Barnes is hearing? No, like he's... My point is, those guys, when those guys move on, yeah, Scotty will be the longest tenure player on the team. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And also, like... Yeah, in terms of is it too much too fast? Like, it's a lot of change really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. But it's also been coming for a little while. And, sure. and this is, you know, I I don't know if this is exactly specifically what Scotty mm-hmm. Barnes wanted, but you want to be the number one guy. This is the stuff that's going to come with it. And right. it's not like they've stripped this down and, like, there's only 19-year-old G League guys around. I'm like, he still has, you know, Kelly's yeah. there, Jakob's there, Bruce Brown's there. Like, there's support and stuff like that. But his voice is going to be the loudest now and his body language is going to be the loudest. And, sure. and that's an important thing for him to take on. Um, before, we got to break and get to Joe Wolf on, but do you have a spicy take for me? Yes, I do have a spicy take for you, and it is now that time for that spicy take. Brought to you by New Chunky's Spicy Soup.
Are you ready to get fired up? Okay. I'm already fired up. Let's go. We're, all, we're both very fired up. The, the spicy take is not about Scotty. I mean, like, we've had this discussion many times. The spicy take is Victor Omonyama is going to be the best player in this entire generation. And when I mean this entire generation, I mean plus or minus, like, five draft classes drafted before him and five draft classes drafted after him. So I guess this is in 11 draft classes. Like, he is going to be undeniably the best player in this entire generation. It'll be, a, honestly, it will be really disappointing if he didn't win Rookie of the Year just because Chet is playing <laughs> for an OKC team that is much, much more talented and much, much more advanced in terms of what the players around them are. Because when you look back on it, it's not even going to be close between those two players. And that's all due respect to Chet, who is in a really, really good player of his own. If Wemby didn't exist, we would fawn over Chet probably more than we currently do. But there is just an absolutely different level. There's so many plays that Wemby makes that you have never seen before that forces so many players to just fundamentally change their game. He is going to be the, a game-breaking defensive player. And we saw that last night with 10 blocks. Again, with nine of those recovered for possession. Um, and then the other part, too, is having to seen him warm up and stuff like that, his skill set isn't as raw as I think it was prescribed coming in. I think Draymond talked about it coming into the league. He's like, well, he's going to be great defensively, no doubt. He's so, he's, you know, he's so tall and everything like that. But offensively, you know, he's going to have to, like, play off of other people. No, 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 no. Victor does not have to play off of other people. Other people have to play off of Victor from now until whenever he's done his career. When you even just watch him go through his warm-up and things like that, it, the three-point shot is at a very consistent level already. The mid-range shot, the moves that he's able to get to the mid-range are already at a really consistent level. And this is as worst as he's ever going to be. This is as bad as he's ever going to be. Is at this current level. So, yeah, Victor's going to be the best player of his generation, and it's not going to be close. And that means he's going to be a top-ten player of all time. Yeah. Already. I mean, he's already like, doing not, stuff. Not already like, right now, but, like, when you look back on in the future, he's going to be a top-ten Yeah, like, I, no thought, I thought my basketball reference stat head was broken yesterday because I'm trying to look up Wemby stuff, and it's like, well, uh, nobody in the database. I'm like, but Wemby's doing it. Yeah. It's yeah. like, he's, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's pretty remarkable. And, look, there are lots of other cool prospects. Chet's cool. Um, you know, Cooper, Dude, like Flag, Cooper Flag, Ace yeah. Bailey, whatever. Yeah. Like, there are going to be more cool guys. I see that guy in the, um, the least locker room. Yeah. The banner. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, it's it's really hard to see a scenario where, barring injury, Wemby isn't the best player. Like, look, yeah. we grew up in a, like, we've grown up on LeBron James. I'm not ready to say he'll be the best player no, we've no. ever seen no. because LeBron James of is course. top That's two at worst. Short of that. Um, but yeah, he's going to be the best player any of us are going to watch in the next 15 years. Who do you think will have a better career when it's all said and done? Wemby or KD? Probably Wemby. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Like again, barring health, because that's always the concern sure, with sure. a seven foot five guy and, and anyone really. Um, but he doesn't play recklessly either. No. You know? And like this is this is why you know Kevin Durant has dealt with injury stuff, but like he's not really slowing down at, at thirty five mm -hmm. because like yeah, his style of play suits well. The hey, I can just get a little more perimeter oriented, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah that's crazy to think about because Katie has a, an MVP and a ring, a two two rings. Yeah. And an MVP, so wow, Victor's just got to join. But like you would absolutely, you would absolutely <laughs> take, the, join, uh, take the over one point five yeah. on Wemby MVPs right now, right? Yeah, yeah. No, so. I'm, dude, it, it's it's absurd how good he is. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely absurd. He's a, he's a game breaker. He's an absolute game breaker. Anyway, we're gonna take a break. Been your host Willow. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. Joining us for segment two as we figure out what exactly actually happened <laughs> after this uh, Scotty Darko discussion because there are now lots of conflicting reports from the two of them. They're directly now contradicting each other. But listen, we're going to get to the end of that. We're going to sort it out in segment four with Michael Grange. In the meantime, we're going to bring in Joe Wolfon of the score. Uh, Wolfon, I just gave my spicy take that Wemby is going to be the best player of this entire generation. And when I said that, I meant the five drafts before Wemby and the five drafts after Wemby plus this current one. He's going to be undeniably the best player in that whole stretch. Do you have a rebuttal to that? Or what are your general thoughts on the Wemby experience after we just saw it live in Toronto yesterday? Yeah, I haven't scouted enough uh, 13-year-olds to know whether he's going to be the best player from the next five drafts, but I think it's a pretty safe bet. Um, I mean, he's insane. I've never really seen anything like him before, just in terms of like the sheer size and length and the way that he's able to move his body and his understanding and his feel for the game at this young age. It's pretty special stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, it feels to me like it's more likely than not that he's going to be the best defensive player in the year. Uh, Sorry, the best defensive player in the league within like a couple of years. So that gets you thinking, or it gets me thinking at least, Joe, and I know you're a guy who likes to kind of, okay, there's this special thing. What is the response to? What is the trickle down? What is the ecosystem effect of this? Um, When you look at Wemby defensively, like he, he might be able to be a defense unto himself as long as you have competent guys around him. And then offensively, you know, like yesterday, the Spurs are just throwing lobs like in the general direction of the paint and assuming he's going to to catch him. How much have you let yourself start thinking about, okay, this team's only won 11 games right now, but it's not going to take much for them to be good. And, and Wemby's, you know, just there's nothing like him. We're going to have to rethink a lot of things at both ends of the floor. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what, you do with him as a defender like because there's no even if you want to try to stretch him out essentially like play five out with shooters at every position i mean his ability to cover space and to recover almost renders that moot like you could have him helping in the paint and still getting out to contest and probably even block a three-point shot so I don't think there's a way to scheme around him, really. Uh, I think you kind of just have to, to live with it and, and just try to probably put him. It feels a little bit counterintuitive because a, a defender with that kind of impact, typically you want to try to avoid them. But I think the way to do it might be actually to just put him in as much action as possible, like force him to navigate as many of those ball screen actions or off ball screening actions as you can to tire him out not only physically but mentally like you just make him have to make a ton of decisions in a short amount of time and hope that that can kind of get him turned around because otherwise I think I don't we saw this a little bit I'm not like comparing the two but with Anthony Davis in that series between the Lakers and the Warriors last year when I think that the Warriors answer to him eventually became to just like put him in as many of those ball screen actions as possible, try and pull him away from the rim 
and just try and, and get him involved so he couldn't be like that completely destructive backline helper on all those different possessions. So I think something like that, it's not really a way to scheme around him. It's more just a way to maybe uh, like tire him out and get yourself to a point where maybe you can stretch him past his breaking point. Yeah. Um, it's we're, we're, it's funny because you don't ever talk about rookies like this, but that's why he's such a special talent. Like you actually need to think about strange strategies or unique strategies that you would have to go against this team that's like only has 10 wins on the season. But, you know, he is going to be at that level uh, very, very soon, and he pretty much already is there already. I mean... I know you you're you're a big fan of Trey Young. I think one time on this podcast you you called him um maybe a generational passer. I think maybe the second best passer in the entire league if not the best passer. Do you like Trey Young as his point guard cuz I think that that's the thing. It's like whoever gets to play point besides Wemby for the next 10 years, let's say, is going to be so lucky. Like you are signing up to be John Stockton buddy basically. I can think of almost no better fit for either of those guys than to play with each other, honestly. Okay. And I know it's like Blake was saying, right? Like the, the Spurs can kind of just throw the ball up in the vicinity of the rim and Wemby's going to be able to go and get it and dunk it. So it's almost like maybe Trey's passing wouldn't actually be as much of an additive element there because you don't need to be this like precise lob passer necessarily to set Wemby up for these finishes. But I just think, you know, his ability to like, he is a a maestro in the pick and roll. And it's not just about his passing ability or like, not just about his ability to hit the roll man in those situations, but his ability to manipulate Mm -hmm. defenders with hesitation dribbles, with his eyes. And I mean, I just, it it would be absolutely ridiculous as a pick and roll partnership, those two guys playing together. Um, And also like, I mean, Wemby loves to run the floor and Trey is an unbelievable hit ahead passer. So I think even like in, in transition, um, they'd be absolutely deadly. And then, you know, if you're looking for a perfect situation for Trey to land in and, where he could be insulated defensively uh there's you know not much more you could ask for than a guy who's seven foot four with an eight foot wingspan who can gallop around the court like a gazelle so uh i think that would be pretty special yeah Yeah. colored me a little skeptical atlanta's actually going to move on from trey young to build around Dejounte murray and, and all the uh wing players in san antonio they'd get back in that trade who Dejounte Murray was already playing with in the Spurs were like, now nah, we got a tank. They could get their own picks back. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if uh, if that's going to go down, but it's uh, it's certainly fun to think on. Um, pivoting off of Wemby, Joe uh, uh, Emmanuel quickly has struggled a little bit uh, of late with the Raptors, and that's happened more on the defensive end than the offensive end. But we've seen some rough offensive nights, and we've seen the floater not drop as much as it had in New York. I don't have a ton of concern about the floater shot, big picture, but I know that you are. The floater guy, like you, like you're the only guy mm. I could talk to about Etwan Moore. You know, you you wrote about it not that long ago, and then the Raptors went out and got a couple of floater guys. Um, in Quickly's first uh, games with the Raptors here, what have you noticed about that particular part of his game, and, and what he might be able to, you know, crib from guys who have really leveraged that elite skill in a way that he hasn't quite been able to yet in Toronto? Yeah, I mean, I think part of the issue is 
like when I wrote about it, I wrote about how devastating it could be as a counter mm-hmm. and as a sort of fallback when you're when you're facing these sort of deep drop coverages and you basically don't have any option. You're getting squeezed into that in-between space because you have a defender sort of trailing over top of the screen. They're forcing you off the arc. And then you have the rim protectors standing between you and the basket, and you kind of have to have that floater in your back pocket. And I think you're seeing with quickly the difference between using that as a fallback weapon where you're leaving the defense no good options and using that as sort of your plan A. And I would just really like to see him use it more in sort of the former context where he has the threat of getting all the way to the rim and that is forcing defenses to account for that and then maybe concede that floater. And for him, that's more of a second or third resort rather than the thing that he's always looking to get to. Uh, I just think he has been using it too much as a crutch and I know it, it won't look as bad as it does right now when the, I mean, I, I don't know, were you shooting like 51 or 52% from floater range with the Knicks? And that's been down under 40% with the Raptors. And I just don't really have a good explanation for why that's happening. So it looks worse, I think, than it ordinarily would, given how good he has been at shooting those floaters. But I, I just find myself getting a little bit frustrated with him at times with how quickly uh, no pun intended. He wants to abort some of those drives and put those floaters up rather than trying to, you know, even if it's not to get a layup, but just keep that dribble alive a little bit longer, prolong the drive, maybe, you know, Nash and sort of see what opens up when you're dribbling underneath the basket, things like that, that you just don't really ever see him do. Um, I think it's more that that's kind of like my overarching concern with him as a lead guard is I think he's just whether it's because he doesn't trust his finishing ability or because he doesn't trust his handle in traffic, he, I think, is just killing his dribble a little bit too early, a little bit too often. Mm. Yeah, so I'm thinking about, you know, going back to our discussion on uh, Trey Young. Like, one of the things that Trey Young just absolutely drives you crazy with is he'll turn the corner on the pick and roll. And then when he goes for the, like, the floater, you can't tell if it's a lob to Capella or if it's a floater for himself. And I feel like having a lob catcher is really something that can open up the threat of the floater quite a bit. And I feel like there just isn't that option for quickly here, maybe. I mean, maybe he had a similar thing with Mitchell Robinson. I can't say I watched Knicks games in that much detail to know exactly how all the two-man pairings were working, but um, I agree with you in terms of keeping the dribble alive for quickly. I, I, I do think that, you know, especially for him, the pull-up three has to also be a fundamental part of his game that needs to be there. Um, what are you seeing from that? I mean, I feel like there's times when I'm watching him, he's not necessarily taking as many threes as he could be, and I think Darko has echoed those similar sentiments. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, Quickly's pull-up game in particular. Yeah, I agree. I think he's passing up a few too many of them. But I, I don't know. To me, it feels like the ones he's passing up are more of the off-the-catch variety. Okay where I would just like to see him have a, a bit of a quicker trigger. Like some of the time it's just a little bit of a record scratch and he's letting the window close with the pull up threes. It's, I don't think it's so much that he's like passing up opportunities as much as he is just like not really seeking them out mm. as much as okay. I feel like he could be. And 
I mean, especially in the context of this Raptors team, uh, probably a big reason that they targeted him, went out and got him, is he had shown that ability, like, again, with the Knicks, the first half of the season, he was, like, over 40% on yeah. pull-up threes. That was something the Raptors just did not have. And they need that from him, to, like, especially with, with the volume that he should be able to get those up at. Um so, I, yeah, I think it's more about seeking out the opportunities for the pull-up and then not passing up the opportunities that he's getting off of the catch. And in terms of, like, the, the lob throwing and maybe, like, the, like disguising the lob or, or playing that off of the threat of the floater, yes, it's true. Like, you, you don't really have that kind of a lob threat on this Raptors team, but that's another thing where that requires a little bit of patience, mm. right? Like, you gotta you got to kind of, like, put that on ball defender on your back a little bit, like keep them in jail, give the rolling big a chance to get behind uh, the screen defender. And that's, what's going to open those opportunities up. And I think with quickly, sometimes he's just not, uh, he's not patient enough in those situations, not letting that play develop to where he'd even have the option to um, maybe disguise that floater or that lob. Fair enough. Wolfon. um, I always love talking about this stuff with you and, We've run out of time to talk about who's the second best team in the East. We'll have to do that in person, I guess. Are you coming to the Pacers game quickly? Yes or no? Yeah, I'll be there. All right, I'll see you tomorrow then. Uh, we're going to take another break. Thanks to Joe Wolfon from The Score. Um, been your host, Wolu. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. When we come back, let's check in with a future four-time Olympian. Top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. Continue to be joined by co-host Blake Murphy. During the five-minute break, we're furiously trying to comb through the video. Did Scotty actually have a conversation with Darko? about what happened last night and why is there so much confusion over it? Because honestly, you got to be pretty aligned with these things. And honestly, knowing that there was practice today and both guys were going to be made available or at least requested in this case, you should, there should be PR training with this kind of thing so that you at least have the same message. But hopefully we will sort that out again until we fully get to hear those clips, which ideally we will have for segment four. It's hard to make a judgment on. Of course, Grange was also there in person. We'll get him on the line. It's turned into a whole thing, you know? Yeah, the whole thing. And it's look, a- sometimes these things can cr- can pop up, and they're a very momentarily they're a very momentary thing. And sometimes the response to that momentary thing turn it into a longer multi day story. And mm-hmm. that seems to be what we have here because we I came on off the top, and you know we had only heard from Darko at that point. I said, yeah, it's good. It sounds like he's like at least taking accountability for it, and that's the next step that you would want to see. And now again, we haven't watched uh, from start to finish, so mm-hmm. um, we're a little thin on context here because it happened live as we were on the show. But the context that we've been given from Scotty's part of the interview uh, <laughs> conflicts with Darko's uh, presentation of this situation, and it's you know it's worth noting too that this happened in 2020, 2021 in Tampa Bay when Pascal Siakam fouled out of a game frustrated and the team decided to bench him for a game. Mm-hmm. Now that was a different coach and a different player, and you know not a dissimilar situation. If you look at uh, you know look at the five guys who were on the court at the end of the game, la- end of the game last night, tell me that didn't feel Tampa. Um, so so the situations are. Uh, not dissimilar. 
Um, and that was a front office decision. That mm. was not a Nick Nurse decision with Pascal. That was that a front, was a front office, office decision. So we'll see. Uh, I'll be interested to see how this shakes out, not advocating for one side or the other. They would obviously have these conversations. Um, but the fact that, you know, he has gone up there and said, well, but no, we, we didn't have a meeting about it after Darko said they had a meeting about it is, uh, I mean, look, it's going to extend as a media cycle now. That's for mm. sure. Remember, um, there was earlier this week, you asked me about the, the Ime approach, right? And Ime, well, they're after by the Rockets in Toronto. Benching Shengun and Green for 15 minutes, yeah. Right. And then you asked me, could you see Darko doing that? And I told you, I was like, I don't think Darko has established that type of, like, ground rules with the players. You know what I mean? Like, it's not the same thing. Ime comes in, and it's like, you know what my reputation is? I literally was tough on the two Js in Boston who are both all NBA players and both like all stars been to the finals, all that kind of stuff choked in the finals. Uh, so I had to squeeze that in there, but like, you know, that's, that's his standard. And so he goes to Houston and it's like, yo, you don't meet that. Like, sorry, Shangun, are, are you Jason Tatum? Jalen, uh, like, I'm sorry, Jalen <laughs> green. Are you Jalen Brown? Are you Jalen of a different color? with The last name. Right? Yeah. You are not. So uh, of course I'm going to apply the same standards to you. And of course you have like, you know, various fats on the floor who can kind of help establish that message as well. You know, so you can do something like that in Houston. Like, if something like that happened with Ime as the coach, do you think Scotty's playing the next game or do you think there's any confusion the next day of practice about whether they met or not met? There should be no confusion over a conversation of this scale. There also shouldn't be confusion over the messaging, right? Like, Well, that's a more PR issue. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it is, though. I think it, I think that could be a Darko issue as well. Like, okay, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to drag the PR team no, in, I'm not, into I'm not it. dragging the PR team. I'm um, just saying, like, you know. Just like, this is yeah, like part relations. of that conversation between the coaches and Scotty Barnes should have been, hey, you need to be accountable for this also. Like, we can have this conversation, point this out to you, mm-hmm. but, like, you've got to be accountable for this, like like I said earlier, like the, this now falls on him, whether it's him walking off the court early or just having a bad game or the team playing poorly, all those pieces of accountability that over the last couple of years have gone to first Kyle and Damar and, mm-hmm. and then, you know, Kyle and Kawhi for the amount we were allowed to talk to him, Pascal, Fred, Fred was a, a huge, you know, hey, he that's the guy who has to come out after losses and things like that. Like this is all part of it. So um, there's also an accountability to your teammates, I think, where, you know, he gets asked about it and he says, well, I'm just trying to help the team win. And, and it's like, okay, but that's not what you're getting asked about. You're getting asked about leaving your team mm. on the bench with three seconds left in a game when like, yeah, the game's over. But those five guys out there are like, Mo Gay got his first career bucket. He did. Like, I also got the game ball for him. Yeah, and it, yeah. yeah, I hope so. Yeah, um, I'm genuinely serious, yeah. And anyway, so I, I think there's, like, yes, there's a there's a messaging element, but also, like, part of this conversation, whether it's with the coaching staff or the front office, needs to be that there's an accountability element here to the entire team and Oregon. Like, that, that's kind of what's, uh, what's on your shoulders at this point. Mm. Well, we will have more discussions about this in segment four because... We don't have Nat yet, so I'm, we can... I'm endlessly curious. Yeah, I mean, the spoiler alert was we're, we're trying to get Natalia Chama on the program to talk about the game, women's uh, national team uh, qualifying for, for Paris uh, this past weekend. Um, bit of a... I mean, listen, it was, a, it was a tough thing to wake up to a Sunday morning. I'm sure it was a tough thing to play in that game as well. Um, Japan, I was not prepared for just how all over the place and overwhelming and fast and everything like that. Uh, Canada missed that chance to to qualify for themselves, but of course Spain with the huge assist there. So we'll get Natalie on the line soon. Um, but yeah, going back to the story here locally in Toronto, it's just like, you know, is this something where you want to see the front office involved? Because as you mentioned, I, I didn't know that wrinkle about the front office was the ones who acted for the Siakam incident. Um, does something similar have to happen here? I mean, Masai is in town, 
and and we also heard last year there was that I think it was January where Masai joined the team on the road trip or was already in New York for something else and, yeah. and had to have yeah. a sit down with, with Scotty as well. And like, look, again, this is to be clear, like we're not talking about like, hey, it's the Scotty Barnes as a number one thing is is over. Like this is just a this is part of the the growth and development there. But yeah, I mean the and where. Like, under normal circumstances, I would love to say, no, this shouldn't be a front office thing. Like, this should be able to be handled by the locker room and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, like, who? Like, who is having the conversation with Scotty Barnes that yeah. commands the respect from him? Darko is uh, a good guy, and everyone, like, speaks the world of him. Yep. But, like, he is a rookie head coach. Does he have the ability, and is it in his nature to sit down um, and, you know, have that kind of tough conversation with Scotty Barnes? Oh, obviously not, because they just had this conversation, and then his scrum went the way that it did. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, and there's certainly not anyone in that locker room. Like, again, Garrett Temple's there, Kelly Olenek's there, Bruce Brown, Jakob Hurdle. those guys just got there. Kelly can't say yeah. anything. He just got there. Most of those guys just got there. And also, yeah. like, are Same they going to command the ear of and, – and, like, this has been – look, having Thad and Otto and Garrett Temple around all season, you know, there, there is a helpful macro-cultural element to that, mm. especially with some of the guys further down the roster. But, like, is your star player hearing those voices when they're a star player? And, yeah. and like, you know, maybe Garrett Temple's voice doesn't carry – at that level with something that's like about that's something about being the face of the franchise and being the accountability piece for the entire team. Yeah. This is a very fascinating story. We're going to get more details on this um, at three 30 when we call Michael Grange. But in the meantime, yeah, we got to sell it, break up the negativity with a little bit of a celebration meantime, here. Thank you. Thank you to Natalia John the rest of the women's national team uh, for qualifying. And we will get to watch them play in Paris. Natalie, you're about to be a four time Olympian. Uh, how does that sound? Um, Makes me kind of feel old <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> but uh, I mean, what an honor. This will be 12 years um, in the Olympic quads that I've been playing with uh, Team Canada. Almost actually closer to 15 actually being on Team Canada. So once again, just old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you say that, but you it's a part of this is also, well, she was the youngest player to ever play for the national team. So you got an early, early start here. You're not exactly Luis Scola at like 43 here for Argentina. Um, so Natalie, you guys are going, but it, it looked a little touch and go there. So for anyone who missed it on Sunday, Canada lost and needed Spain to beat Hungary to qualify for the Olympics. Spain got down 22 points to Hungary and entered the fourth quarter down 14, but came back and pulled it off. Can you walk us through a little bit? what it was like for you guys to be watching that game? Ooh, you know, the mentality going into the game was try to control your own destiny. So, of course, like, we were locked into the Japan game. A couple of shots, a couple of fouls, something goes a little bit different, and the game is won by Canada. So it was definitely heartbreaking um, for that outcome. But then we had to sit on the sideline and we had to watch. We had to watch Spain decide if we were going to go to the Olympics or not. And if you know any kind of history over the past couple quads here with Spain, we've always played Spain in tight games. So it was uh, definitely written in stone that we were meant to go to the Olympics because what a comeback down 20 to win by one. Um, You know, I've never celebrated another country winning, but them winning meant we won uh, and that we still get to keep this dream of Paris 2024 alive. So, okay, can you take us behind the scenes or some of the logistics? Like we heard like maybe some of the members were in the crowd watching physically. Some people were also some video behind the scenes uh, of some of your teammates hugging each other, watching it on TV. So like how did it physically all go down in terms of you guys watching this performance from Spain that really ultimately saved Canada here? 
Yeah, we were all kind of spread out after the game. A couple players stayed at the arena. I went home or home temporarily. I went to the hotel to go hug, hug my son, Mav, and just I was heartbroken. So I went to gather myself at the hotel and then I met up with like Bridget and uh, Kia and Sammy. And we were watching the game and just kind of just talking about anything but the game and all of a sudden everyone's like hey there's the game's actually getting close so we really locked in and i cried kia was trying to convince me that i needed to play till la before uh, we saw the final <laughs> result of the game and she's like just kidding you can just play with team canada six more months because we're going to paris so <laughs> it was all over the place don't rule that out though five-time olympiad sounds pretty good too i think only four women have ever done that and only a couple of guys scola was one of only a handful on the men's side let's not rule it out right Mm -hmm. No, uh, <laughs> I've decided that this will be my last Olympic game. So okay. for so much emotion, even more emotion was in that moment for me because I for a second was like, was that the last time I really put a Canada jersey on? Damn. Uh, and, you know, it turns out that God had a different plan and I'm putting a jersey on again to represent Canada now here in Paris. So um, obviously positive ending. You guys got there. It was meant to be Spain helped you out. Um, but you know, it was it was close there. So you guys went one and two in this tournament, close games against Spain and Japan that, that you weren't able to pull out. When we look ahead to what this team needs to do in Paris, um, what do you think you guys can learn from this one? What didn't click in this particular tournament that you guys can, can kind of learn from and do a little bit better with come Paris? I think the fine details, it was a great reminder that it's really hard to do this. It's really hard to qualify for the Olympics. It's really hard to do it four times in a row for Canada basketball, our women's national team. So it was just a reminder that to compete and to play at the highest level, you have to do it every minute, 40 minutes. Because um, like you said, both those games were close for us, a couple possessions either way, and it would have been in the win column for us. So I think it's just a reminder that the details matter. And I went to um, a Olympic lab put on by the Canadian Olympic Committee um, a couple months ago in Quebec. And a couple of the speakers reminded you that if you want to kind of turn that page, if you want to get to the point where you're on the podium or you're successful year after year you have to do something different and it can't just be okay we qualified and we're arriving it has to be where are you making those little sacrifices where is that one percent better coming on a daily basis not just when you're getting together with your team so i think this us hanging on by a thread was just a reminder that you have to put that one percent change in every day yeah i mean honestly the way you're mentioning it now i'm thinking about it like could have very easily been a three and zero tournament, and mm -hmm. and you know there were there were leads in, in, you know that uh, could have been held on to and things like that. And of course, that's where those little margins really add up. I'm curious because this is going to be your fourth time. For some of them, it will be their first time as well. What did you make of some of the younger members of the team and how they performed in this like super high pressure environment despite their young age? Uh, our coach Victor made a actually really good point at the beginning of the tournament that. It's great to have experience, but sometimes you need that kind of fresh eyes, that um, deer in the headlights, Bambi vibe, uh, where you don't overthink things because you've been there. And so to have players that are going to be entering their first Olympics or maybe their second Olympics, because Tokyo doesn't really count because um, it was such a different environment, uh, it'll add some fresh energy for us. Um, and then couple that with the experience of those have been to multiple Olympics. This will be Kia's third as well. Um, I think we'll have a, a great balance here of just people that are 
bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and then those that are like, okay, I know what it takes in this moment, and just mix it together, and I think we're going to have a great approach going into these games. Yeah, and I, I think watching, you know, these these games here and, and some of the past runs, it's like you guys have a clear advantage on the inside. I mean, I thought you did a really good job, you know, on the glass defensively, you know, scoring when you could. I thought Kayla was really a big standout in this whole tournament run. Um, what can you say about Kayla Alexander's performance? Yeah, Kayla being named to All-Star 5, much, much, much deserved. She's put in the work. She's dedicated her time to Canada basketball. And you even seen in her pro career how it's transitioning over here to our national team. And she's been dominant. Um, I can't say anything more. A little tidbit that I, might be my claim to fame because Kayla's being so great lately mm -hmm. that Kayla and I lived together when we were in high school. We went to Anita Basketball oh, Academy Canada basketball yeah <laughs> when I was wow. in the 10th grade and Kayla was in the 11th grade so Kayla Alexander my claim to fame was I lived with her but <laughs> she's been huge for our program and I love to see the growth of her game um, and just how dominant and powerful she's been for us um, and will be going into these games as well and and an author so so make and sure to author. check the, yeah, the yeah. book out author business owner entrepreneur yeah all the things uh and she balances it so well and makes it look so effortless what can't Milton she do royalty. yeah um, what can't she do? <laughs> uh natalie we, we mentioned earlier you were the youngest player to suit up for uh the national team and i i wonder with your experience with that what that was able to do for you early in your career you guys had silo swords on the roster for this one. Um, obviously a big, big part of this program's future. Um, what do you think being with you guys for this event did for her and what can that early experience do for her as she goes forward in her career? Even in the past year of Sai being on our team, just seeing her growth and how she's transformed her body, how she's uh, got, like, I love the big guard moments is what I call them, but there was a couple where she was taking it to the rim and she wasn't soft. And I was like, that's grown women basketball. And that's the difference when you're able to pull up some of our younger players like I did myself and get them that experience at what a pro level would be. It's a different level. And she's still in high school. So to see the growth that she'll also have when she gets to the NCA and her college program, um, the future of Canada basketball is bright when you have uh, these young ones being able to uh, be dominant at this point already. There you go. Well, Natalie, appreciate you for joining us on the show. We're very much looking forward to seeing, um, well, first of all, we're very much looking forward to seeing the men finally join you guys at the Olympics. <laughs> I mean, it's about time, really. Like, you know, where, where have y'all been? But, uh, no, seriously, <laughs> congratulations once again, and uh, we'll look forward to cheering you guys on in the uh, in the summertime. Thank you. I'm so excited to have them here, too. First time since 2000, so it'll be a can of basketball party, so cheer us on for sure. Thanks for having me. For sure. Natalia Chalma, four-time, soon-to-be four-time Olympian. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. That's crazy. It's yeah. uh, uh, Donovan Bennett had a really good feature at sportsnet.ca with Natalie as well about um, Natalie wanting to, you know, help make – Change, continue to make the women's basketball space better for moms mm -hmm. uh, because Natalie yes. mentioned her her son. She's a, a recent mother as well. So uh, a yeah. lot of fun stories there brewing for Canada's uh, 2024 women's roster. Um, on the men's side, by the way, uh, yeah. Tim Bontemps dropped his latest MVP straw poll at ESPN. Straw poll season? Yeah, All which right. I'm uh, – so this is the two-thirds mark, so I'm uh, a part of that, obviously. Nice. Uh, Shea number two to Jokic right now. Yeah, how many times did you vote for Shea? <laughs> I tell you who was number one on my ballot. Uh, yeah, was he number one on your ballot yeah. for real? Nice. Yeah. Nice. You've been saying that, so I'm happy you did that in the straw poll. Yeah. Um, Still behind Jokic, though. Yeah. Yeah, pretty, like, not significantly. Like, it's a pretty close-ish race overall, but Jokic had, like, the lion's share of the first-place votes. Mm. 
Um, yeah, the top five in the latest Bontemps poll. Shouts to Bontemps for doing this every time. Um, Jokic, SGA, Giannis, Luka Doncic, and Kawhi Leonard. Mm-hmm. Seven other players getting votes. No Joel Embiid, of course, is a notable one. But, I mean, I think everyone's just anticipating that he can't be voted for now because yeah. of the injury and the times missed. I think he's already he's guaranteed already eclipsed that mark with him missing at least six weeks. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's not going to get there. Yeah, so uh, it's too bad for Embiid because I think he probably would have led this poll yeah. or at least been 1A, 1B at minimum. Honestly, I think there's a good case for him to lead. But, yeah, I mean, damn, SGA, man. What would he have to do to actually win MVP? Like, does OKC need to win, like, five more games I mean, than Denver or something? So, I don't know. Like, like OKC's a half game up on Denver right now in the standing. So, it's not just a record thing. Um, Jokic is obviously, you know, the the best and most impactful player in the league. But if we start to look at some of, like, obviously, Shea has done a, a lot of very cool things. Um, there's also, like, Shea, if we look at some of the advanced metrics, and you don't want to vote just based on this. You don't, but it, we do try to, you know, zoom out and capture using something like, you know, EPM and the estimated mm-hmm. wins added that that produces. Shea is first by, like, a good margin over the rest of the league. And it's actually Giannis who's second. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, if you prefer basketball reference and, and their win shares or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, BPM, whatever, you look at any of these catch-alls and they're imperfect, but a lot of them agree that Shea has been the most impactful player mm. in the league. And part of that is, you know, OKC, you know, what these models will look like, will look at is, like, well, this model doesn't rate Kenrich Williams as anything. This model doesn't rate Jalen Williams, the backup guy, mm-hmm. as anything. This model doesn't really care that much about, you know, hey, the four games of Gordon Hayward they're going to get from here or whatever. It looks at Shea in an environment where, yeah, Chet's been really good. The other Jalen Williams have been really good, but Shea's very clearly the leader that has an on-off impact. He's yeah. putting up remarkable stats. The fact that he leads the league or as close to the league lead in steals. Um, steals is one of the, you know, we we obviously can't quantify defense very well, but steals feeds these metrics on the defensive end pretty sure. well. Um, and Shea's obviously improved a lot at the point of attack too. So um, what you're seeing is you can still vote Jokic, and I had Jokic number two and would fully understand him as the number one vote. Mm-hmm. But if you care about those metrics, they are saying, hey, Shea's caught up to at least make this a, a pretty reasonable conversation and is in some cases ahead of him. So, um, you know, I've been pretty pretty consistent in my thinking Shea should be at, at the top of that. I wavered a little bit when Embiid was, you know, really cooking and averaging the most points per minute and highest true shooting percentage we've ever seen and stuff like that. Yep, but Embiid's not going to be in the conversation anymore. And um, I think it's a it's a reasonable discussion between Jokic and, and Shea right now. I guess my only thing with Jokic is like last year was such a high standard for him. And obviously last year he didn't win MVP, right? Uh, Embiid got the MVP last year. Um, he got the finals MVP, which is the more important one. But even compared to last year, Jokic shot 63% from the field. This year, he's at 58. Uh, he averaged 9.8 assists last year in the same amount of minutes played. This year, he's at 9. He's rebounding a little bit higher than before, 12.2, 11.8. But with, you know, he's shooting more often, but he's actually scoring a lower efficiency. Like, I'm not I, I'm not discrediting Jokic's MVP case by any means. I think he'd be totally valid as if you voted him first. I just feel like, you know, especially when you got to win like your third MVP now and eventually maybe your fourth MVP and you're, like you got to raise the bar each and every single time or you got to be like like lapping the field type of thing you know and, and I'm not saying that Shea should get it because he hasn't gotten it before but I feel like Shea just keeps taking his game to different levels and I actually seen a higher level from Jokic already yeah, it's and it's a weird one because then it gets into well, is it most valuable or is it most improved to get to most valuable? Yeah, and yeah. like you, yeah, like voter fatigue is a real thing. We we know it. We've seen it. Um, it's I don't know. I, I do think there is 
whether fair or not, a cost to Jokic has been at this level and the Nuggets have been at this level where the Thunder are the new funner thing. And, and I don't know how to, like, personally, and to be clear, I don't have an actual vote oh. in this. This is just All for right. Tim Bontemps uh, exercise. Got you. Um, I don't know how you would be able to strip those things apart when you sit down with it, right? Like, you can't control for that in your own brain how much you value one versus the other. Um, I just think it's, like, statistically... Feel-wise, record-wise, watching how those two teams operate, yeah. when those two teams play against each other, um, it feels very, very close. And I, I feel good about Shea at the two-third mark here. I think for Shea, too, it's not just necessarily what he can do in terms of getting better numbers or stats than Jokic. It's almost impossible to do that. Um, I think for him, it's about the moments, like the head-to-head matchups, the game winners, those memorable moments. I think back to, this is not the Westbrook winning MVP year. This is totally mm-hmm. different, to be clear. But in that year, it was like, maybe it was him, or maybe it's Harden, or maybe whatever. And it's like, Kawhi, I think, was in the mix, too. And it was like, nah, he hit that game winner in Denver to, like, take them out of the playoffs. And, like, I think that one shot alone pushed so many people over the top towards Westbrook. Moments decide a lot of MVP races as well. And I think for SGA, I mean, if what he needs to do is hit some more game winners... I don't think that's an issue for him. No. He's very good at that. So, yeah, we're rooting. Man, it's such a good moment for Keanu Basketball, man. Good thing, good thing the Raptors have pivoted to a uh, let's acquire as many um, Canadians as possible strategy. Yeah, might need some more, uh, yeah. you know, change, change the, the talking points right now. <laughs> I don't know. Corey Joseph's a free agent. Uh, Kelly was good last night, too. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of Kelly? Real quick before we go to break. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's good, man. He's Kelly Olenek. I, I know what you're <laughs> trying right. to do. You're trying to get us to the to the break and sprinkle in a little bit there was not much positive from last night's game kelly was fine he did a better <laughs> job on Wemby than the others had, had a couple nice plays I um i don't know man i love i love kelly but it doesn't yeah. uh it's obviously not enough on a night like last night yeah yeah, yeah. that's true You're let's right. take a break let's let's get some of this All audio right. going and talk to grange let's take that break and let's finally get to the bottom of this what exactly happened at raptors practice today um anyway i've been your host will you've been listening to the raptor show on the sports radio network brought to you by campbell's new chunky spicy soup the most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Lou. Joined by Blake Murphy. We're going to finally hear those clips from practice today because a bit of confusion, at least based on sort of the way it was uh, tweeted out, I think that there might just be some confusion that happened, you know, at the press conference. So I'm looking forward to actually getting a sense of what actually went on in Raptors practice in terms of Darko and Scotty talking about what happened last night, the accountability piece, and all of that. So first we have a clip just of Scotty discussing that in detail with Michael Grant, who we're going to bring on after these clips. I wanted to hear your version of how you ended up being off the bench and into the locker room before everyone else. I was just like two or three seconds left in. And I just left it, left it in. Uh, so I just left it in. I mean, did you think the game was over, or did you think we just like, kind of had enough at that point? No, nah, I was just three seconds left in. Yeah. It was all going to locker. That was really it. How would that be a good look for you, Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, left the game early. Uh, yes, the, you said the clip went viral, so, you know, it's a bad look. You know, it's a mistake by my part. You know? if, it's, if it affected him in any way, you know, it's a mistake by me. 
I think we're all leaders. One of the leaders. And, uh, and so, but when you're kind of, the, the emotion you play with, when it's good, it's, you know, it's very obvious, the whole building. But at times it looks like you get frustrated there, and you see it sometimes when you put your hand on your head or slow to get back in time. So, is that something that's been pointed out to you, that's something you're aware of? Is, uh, I think more when I'm frustrated or emotional, it's, you know, it's my, more on my part. Uh, you know, I had, but like three turnovers, three, four turnovers in that first quarter. Uh, so, you know, I'm just frustrated, mad at myself, you know. Just got to take care of the ball, and it led to easy, fast break points. Um, showing emotion, you know, not getting back, you know, it costs us on our part. Uh, so, you know, it's more me being frustrated myself in the way I'm playing, and, you know, it's not really nothing to do with everybody else, you know, it's just more frustrated on my part. But I guess it's kind of... You kind of recognize that the camera's on you all the time, whole building watching you. It's, it's something that you got to be a little bit conscious of, or not? I guess, you know, the camera's watching Watch me, I guess. You know, just playing the game and, you know, I'm just trying to win. Uh, not really caring with the cameras, you know, I'm just trying to play the win, help the team win uh, any way possible. Okay. Blake, what did you think of that first off before we play the Darko's half of this? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a little disappointing given what the way Darko framed it. And again, we're going to play Darko's part. But, you know, we came on here at 2 o'clock. Scotty hadn't spoke yet. We were only reacting to the Darko side. And Darko presented uh, a much more accountable version of Scotty Barnes than Scotty Barnes uh, presented there where, you know, the, the typical, like, if it offended someone, then I apologize kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pushing back on Grange, calling him a leader, of the team, you know, to say we're all leaders, which is like true, but you you want to take on some ownership there. And I don't know, it just like, it didn't seem like to him, he thought it was a, a big deal at all, mm. which is, you know, your prerogative. And again, we've, we keep, I keep couching this to, to make sure it's clarified because I know how sound bites work and stuff like that. Like, it's not the end of the world. He can improve from this and uh, learn from it and get better. But yeah, the day after and after having talked to the coaches, that's not exactly the, the messaging you probably would have preferred as the Raptor. You probably would have liked a little bit more straightforward accountability of, you know, that's my bad. I shouldn't have done that. I understand why that's a bad look while teammates are still on the court playing and scoring their first career buckets. And, and you know, the, the we were all leaving the court. No, they weren't. There was nobody around you. It was only you that left the court. So, um, and and then the like, no, we didn't talk about that element of it. That that also didn't make it, which we'll play now. Is uh, is not great. Right. Yeah. So l- let's run that uh, second clip as well. Oh, leaving the bench. Yeah, we did. Uh, we talked about it. Uh, um, he thought that uh, it was a shot clock violation and uh, that the siren was already off. Um, he was not aware of it. And uh, yes, we did, we did have a talk uh, this morning about it. I just brought awareness that him as a leader of, of the team, like he has to be aware of those those kind of things and uh, that he cannot overlook. Uh, and that obviously being that guy, you're going to be under, under always under Microsoft, my, 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 Microsoft. So he's aware of it, and uh, he regrets his his act from yesterday. But uh, it was genuine, just not being aware. Has Darko, you know, chatted with you about whether like, leaving the court early or like just like, getting back on defense and this kind of things kind of uh, recently? Um, no, nah, we didn't have no conversation about it. You know, we all know. I guess we all can see that I'm frustrated with this. Yeah. I think that's more of what it is. 
You guys didn't have a meeting or anything this morning? Uh, we talked about, you know, the game, but that was really a fun family thing. Yeah. Um, okay, a lot of confusion. It feels like we need the context around it because it's one of those things where if you only watch the video portion, maybe you don't get the full context. So let's talk to somebody who was actually there for that press conference, the man who was asking some of those questions himself. Uh, Michael Grange of Sportsnet. Grange, what should we... Uh, yeah. We don't have Grange just quite yet. Okay, no. we are working to get Grange on the line. Sorry. Saw the, a note. But um, yeah, we will get to Grange's side of it because I think there is a confusion. Like, what exactly happened here? Like, what's going on? Yeah, look. Seriously, my, what my... is going on? It's making something that is obviously a bad look, but you could take accountability for it and then you just move on. Yeah. So that's it's making it into like a much more confusing ordeal. Like, is there not discussions? You know what I mean? Like, so, what is happening? Look, the, the easy, well, not easy, but like the the simplest read on this is they all talked about it and it was brought up. And in Scotty's mind, it wasn't like a meeting about that. And that's how he answered the question. Whereas Darko's trying to play the, you know, the public messaging a little bit better, but yeah, this isn't a great thing. They came out of whether they had a, a meeting or it was just part of the yeah. film discussion or whatever. They're clearly not on the same page about the level of whether this was an issue and why exactly that was the case. And again, you can feel like it's a non-issue, but the team, you know, the day after the coach and the star player who left the court early should be on the same page about whether that was okay and why or why not. Yeah. Okay. We do have Grange on the line. Grange, what exactly went on in practice today? And did they have actually have a talk about what went wrong yesterday at the end of the game? Well, not according to Scotty. Right. And so I think, you know, if we're gonna really going to parse this like zap rooter type thing, which is kind of what we've been left to do, um, there was they did talk, but the talk was about the game. And if you kind of uh, gone through this transcript a couple of times, when he's asked at one point, um, you know, has did Dar has Dar Darko spoken to you about things like, you know, getting back on defense, um, you know, leaving the bench early last night? Like that was the gist of that question. I'm pretty close to accurate on that, I think. And, you know, he said there was no conversation. And then I asked, you know, so you didn't have a meeting this morning. And he said, well, we talked about the game. That was the primary thing. So there was a conversation. The subject of that conversation, um, you know, Scotty didn't want to elaborate on or, or heard the conversation a little differently than Darko kind of explained it to us. I kind of looked through Darko's answer and you know, maybe we overinterpreted how significant or significant or um, kind of specific this meeting was. But you know, I think we're we're kind of getting lost in the weeds here. Um, you know, I think really the headline is, you know, this is what happens, and this is going to be part of the process when you have a guy who's we all know is extraordinarily talented who's really in a job he's not ready for right now. And, um, you know, he's learning on it. And, you know, part of that is how he kind of comports himself on the floor. And when things aren't going the way they need to go, or he wants them to go, or they he wish they would. And I'm not calling out saying he's like, it's a big, you know, it's not like he's a menace or anything, but you know, we've seen it like the, the kind of flailing of the arms, the, the refs, the, you know, the, kind of the slow runs back, that kind of stuff. And another part of it, and it's probably the least important, but it's not insignificant, is how he presents, um, you know, his face and the, you know, they call it face of the franchise, right? And so it's how he presents um, the Raptors publicly 
in all kinds of contexts. But one of them is, you know, in moments like this, when you've been, got drilled by one of the worst teams in the league and you're coming off two bad blowout losses, uh, that you can kind of, uh, you know, present yourself in a way that's uh, that's going to make things sound like they're going to be okay. Maybe that's a way to put it. So Darko said he doesn't see the need for additional discipline here. I only bring it up because there was a there was a situation like this very similar, and none of us were there in Tampa Bay, but we certainly got the you know the reports and the intel that hey Pascal Siakam did this. You know, Nick Nurse wasn't the one deciding that there was a, uh, I guess technically they called it benching, not suspension, because suspension gets into some CBA and labor stuff. Um, but, it, you know, he got sat down for a game. So there is precedent not that long ago, um, player in a similar spot kind of being handed the keys for, you know, not the first time, but, but you know, hey, you're the leader now. You, you can't act that way. Um, I only ask this because that precedent is there. But after Scotty's, you know, presser today and that, not lack of accountability, but not accountability to the same degree that that Darko ha- had painted there. Do you think Darko will feel similarly that this is a like, hey, let's just move on from it? I think they will move on from it, I, and and I think it's worth kind of mentioning too in this context is, um, you know, so sure you could discuss that situation with with Pascal. He, there was like I think twenty six seconds left. He, mm-hmm. he fouled out, left the floor, you know, in an empty arena in Tampa. And, um, you know, kind of heard about it later. Um, but it was interesting when, and, and I brought it up to Darko and I brought it up to Scotty too, that this is the context with which we're pursuing this. Like, I mean, in, yeah. this, in my list of basketball sins, like, you know, a disgusted player walking off the floor with two seconds left or whatever number it was, you know, having just got your butt kicked and his in particular, um, you know, that's not really all that high on it for me. That's just my own personal right. He's, you know, and, and similarly when it happened with Pascal, like I don't know all the background to it, but, you know, a guy fouling out, getting, you know, getting drilled and, and you know, not having a great night and decides to walk it off. Again, I, they made it a big deal. I didn't. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, so that was the context. So I, I, I brought it up to Darko, to be fair. And he says, well, no, it was a different situation. There was like three minutes left. And I'm, no, no, there was 26 seconds left. And I only mention this because at some point, somebody should have made the effort to go, this is why people will be asking about this. This is why people are making what seems like a small thing into a slightly bigger thing. Because as you point out, it's happened before and this is how it was handled. And similarly, when I mentioned it to Scotty, it was the first he'd ever heard of it, or it seemed like it was the first he'd ever heard of it. He seemed surprised by the whole thing. And those are little things where I think an organization can support a player and and make sure that everyone's kind of knows what's happening and why this seemingly innocuous thing, you know, some people have a different standard for it. I'm just saying that's, it's not something that would have kind of jumped off the page for me other than it's happened before. And so, um, you know, so that's where, that's a little bit of a, a wrinkle here that's kind of interesting is, is one, the coach was aware of it, but didn't really understand specifically the issue. And then the player had no clue about it in terms of the context. And, you know, I think uh, that probably would have been worth making sure everything was nailed down on as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, the, the, the end of the game, honestly, at that point, the result was already over. It didn't affect the impact of the, of the game. So, you know, that's, that's one thing. I think the more, th- the bigger thing is just how, you know, engaged and how connected he is play to play quarter to quarter, minute to minute, um, 
that you needed to see during the game. That could have actually changed the impact of the game was getting back in transition. And you can make a whole reel of just moments where he didn't get back in transition or, you know, missed opportunities offensively here or there, whatever. That happens. Like, that to me is the bigger thing. Honestly, even how you present yourself to the media, to be honest, that's not really, like, controllable in a way. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, like, he is, he just is what he is, you know? And, like, I, I, you know, I think for me, that's much, much less important than, you know, how engaged are you in terms of running back in transition? You know, and I think that almost when we have this whole big discussion about, like, you know, Pascal did this. Is he going to also get – like, that's fine. I think the bigger thing is just in the game, like, just stay engaged and compete mm-hmm. the entire way through. And that's not to mean that he doesn't do that sometimes. Some games he's the hardest competitor. I mentioned after the Cleveland game, he was awesome in that game. So connected, so engaged. Didn't change the result. But I loved the game, the game that he played, and he had a, a triple-double. The next game, though, you know, you see the lacking. So that's, to me, the bigger issue here. Right. And it's all, again, like I said, like this is – uh, a guy who's been put into a situation that everyone is hoping he'll eventually grow into. And, you know, there's reason for that. <laughs> We've seen it plenty of times. I mean, this guy's pretty special. Um, but, you know, he is not there. Uh, he is not there yet. And really, um, kind of the game-to-game fluctuations with, I wouldn't, I won't say his energy, his effort or energy level, but sort of his ability to deal with frustration as it's unfolding in a game. Mm. Uh, you know, it's not probably where it needs to be. And, and I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not trying to hold into a standard that's unrealistic, but I think it needs to get better. And, and, and I think, you know, these are sort of the situations you find yourself in. And I think, you know, the organization needs to kind of really make sure that, that they, these kinds of things are being addressed. And, I think the broader context here a little bit with Scotty is a lot of the kind of narrative last year was a kind of a a friction, I guess, between some of the older guard and, you know, we can probably safely say that's Fred and, you know, some of the younger guys and Scotty and, um, you know, Sorry, my wife is calling me. She doesn't know I'm on the radio. Uh, It's all right. We got interrupted by a cat last segment and and uh, we're, we're all good. It's all good. But, um, you know, and, and that was sort of kind of the, the crux of that is, is this guy is being, you know, offered a lot and, and giving it, being given a ton of uh, responsibility, a ton of um, opportunity. And, you know, in other ways, is he, is he ready for it the way he's going to need to be? And I think last year the answer was probably no. I think this year we've all seen tremendous progress, but now he's on an island, right? And if you kind of look at, you know, kind of one of the subplots last night was, and I we've seen it multiple times. If you look at that Oklahoma City game as well, and we talk about lack of engagement or um, maybe, you know, not looking like he's kind of well. Guess who's he's getting guarded by, right? Yeah. Like he's Jeremy Soshan was in his shirt, and behind him was uh, Wembenyama and. At this stage of his career, Scotty wasn't really prepared, and there wasn't uh, anyone who could lift that burden for him. Uh, Lou Dort made him disappear in, at the end of that uh, OKC game. Um, I look back at the Clippers game in L.A. when Kawhi Leonard decided for a quarter to play defense, and Scotty had no answer. O.J. Anobi against him in New York, same thing. Now, Scotty Barnes isn't the only person who can't manage that kind of attention because those are some of the best defenders in the league, but 
the job is to figure that out. The job is to uh, be able to counter that threat either with your own ability and your own your own skill or use your own ability and skill to allow your teammates to affect the game. And, you know, that's something that, you know, against some really elite defensive attention he struggled with. And and, and I think sometimes that's those struggles carry over into how he carries himself and comports himself. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's the other part too, is just bigger picture wise that, you know, it's, it's all, it's on him now. Like it's, you know, for example, quickly had a bad game last night. RJ, I didn't think it was that effective either, you know? Um, and, it, you know, there's very little discussion about those two other elements, but that's because we expect way more of Scotty. They're not getting the rookie scale extension supermax this summer. Right. So it's like, even the financial part, I'm, I'm whatever. I mean, obviously, I want it's to be more about Scottie, like what, yeah, it's, I don't mean the dollar amount. I mean, yeah, what yeah. that signifies. Like, no, only but, a dozen guys in the league get that. Yeah. But I mean, like, the path to this whole thing working is Scotty taking it to the next level. He's the leader on the court, off the court, everything. Like, the franchise player means franchise player. You know what I mean? And so these moments of growth are actually going to be pretty important because you're not always – we're always going to be there celebrating every single moment of success when he makes the all-star, when he makes rookie of the year, when he has a great game. Last time when they played Wemby, they, they came back and won, and we were all here being like, wow, Scotty outplayed Wemby. And we made that comeback in the fourth quarter. And in his gym, that was amazing, won in an overtime. That was all incredible, right? Um but then I think there are other steps too. And this is the other really important part of development is like you need to reflect on these things and just like improve and get better from it. And when it gets put in the spotlight, hopefully there is a response. That's that's all I'm hoping for. Like, fine, he plays the next game against the Pacers, against Pascal tomorrow. Um, come out with a response. The best case scenario for the Raptors tomorrow, literally for their own pick because they own Indiana's mm-hmm. pick, but also narratively for the franchise going forward is Scotty goes out, puts up a 30-point triple-double, and they beat the Pacers. They shut down Pascal. Probably he shuts down Pascal, and all of a sudden you feel really good about, hey, they pivoted in this direction. We now see why. But yeah, I mean, I mean no, I agree with you, and, yeah. and I think that's completely on the table. Um, but you know, and I'll reference Darko in this. <clears throat> I don't think this will be the last time we kind of look at, you know, because we sort of over scrutinize. It's inevitable. But you know, and, and we see something and find a shortcoming. But it just can't be. You know, I think the concern is is that you follow into a, into a pattern of, um, of of stagnation, and maybe that was a bit of the story for a big chunk of last year. And I think really this year, as great as he's been, like his December and January uh, production is not nearly where it was. Sorry, his January and February production is, yeah, like for the past month, his production has fallen off pretty significantly, and uh, or measurably. And you know, is that going to be the story? Is is he going to sort of Kind of have, you know, post All Star kind of kind of close to the finish line, or is he going to reach to another level? Like to Blake's point, um, they're just, the, you know, you measure it by the money, but really it's the direction of an enterprise that is being invested in this guy, and so details matter, and and it's not just wins or losses; it is careers, it's jobs, it's there's a lot of people um, are. You know, say nothing of fans, right? Who are mm-hmm. spending good money after bad and and supporting something that is so dear to them, um, and they're kind of rising and falling with all of this. But you know, the the trajectory of an organization is affected by its players, and you know, things don't go right. You know, we know what happens. People do lose jobs. People do things go badly for other people. 
And so that's why um, it's important, you know, the sooner uh, an athlete kind of grasps, grasps that um, and understands that it's more than just, you know, having a good game or having a bad game, um, the further along everyone gets. And, um, you know, nobody's doubting, I don't think, Scotty's passion for the game. Nobody's mm -hmm. doubting his talent, certainly. Um, you know, he's, by all accounts, you know, like, good character. Like, he's, you know, he's never been any issues or problems. But, you know, it's, you know, when somebody's going to be writing the kind of checks he's going to be getting, uh, the, it's fair, I think, for the expectations to be very high. Yeah. Okay, really quickly, just to both of you, do you feel like Darko is the kind of coach, based on what he's shown so far and the relationships he's established, to just handle accountability going forward? Not about Scotty, just in general. We're going to find out. We're about to find out? Okay, good answer. Uh, real quick, I mean, we, he was asked that, and, and he says, look, I'm never going to hang my guy out to dry in public. Clearly. Uh, but in, the, in, you know, in private, the conversations are direct, they're honest, and, um, you know, he's willing to go to – you know, to go into those directions. And I have asked questions of previous players, guys we've worked with in the past. And, and he does have that reputation that, you know, it's like he builds a relationship strong enough that he can be honest enough mm. uh, that, you know, he can tell players what they really need to hear. And okay, that's um, good. doing it at the NBA level, I mean, it's a different beast, right? But, uh, you know, that's, he was, you know, that's how we answered that question when we asked him today. Okay. Well, I think to Blake's point, we guess we will see. And hopefully there's a big response tomorrow. But uh, Granger, I appreciate you. I'm sure you weren't expecting this exciting of a practice when you went down there today. Never a dull moment. <laughs> Never really is a dull moment. Michael Granger, Sportsnet. Um, read his piece about the game as well last night. Uh, yeah, great Wemby piece. Great Wemby piece. Everyone's, you can't watch Wemby do what he did and not just be like completely hyperbolic over the moon type of thing, you know? Yeah, I, uh, I it was it was really fun. And it was a little weird to like, put that in the pocket for a second because of the Scotty situation. Yeah. Um, also, like, we haven't even mentioned Grady Dick had another really good game. Um, Dude, none of this matters, man. I know. <laughs> but the Grady Relative Dick thing... to the main thing, it doesn't matter. But the yeah. Grady Dick thing is actually something that does matter the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, anyway, yeah. It's, Grady, uh, no, you're right. Grady had a good game, and I want to take the time to acknowledge that as well. Grady, congratulations. It was great to see him come <laughs> off the bench and just steady things down. I, I was not expecting that from someone so young. Here's that's a, really impressive. A tiny question for you that's maybe a conversation for another day, but we that's got good. a minute to fill. We swap Grady for Gary at some point just to see what it looks like in, the in a starting, starting lineup. Um, yeah. yeah. Like he's sure. here longer term, right? Like it's a more certain thing that he's going to be the guy playing with those other four. I mean, I would probably wait until Gary misses a game, you know, okay. like there might just things come up, you know, and, and if he misses a game, you try him in the role and then you get maybe a little bit more information and establish him a little bit more. I do feel like you're firmly slamming the door on Gary, like like you're not coming back if you do that. But I mean, I also understand based on the performance of this season that if you choose to go in that direction, it's it's an understandable one. Tough time for Gary last night as well, man. What, what's going on with the transition? Like why? Why? I don't understand, you know, man. You know I like Gary. You know you know we have Gary Sr. on the show sometimes. Yeah. I don't understand the transition. He's thing. shooting 31% over his last six games in general, and it's got to be less than that in transition. Dude, I don't get it. Transition is like... It's the easy ones. It is the easy ones. Um, but, you know, uh, look, lots of, lots to cover with this Raptors team. Somehow. <laughs> Somehow. That does it for us today. I've been your host, Will. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. It's time to get fired up. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe, and please rent review the show. Thanks once again to producers, Amit Mann, our board producer, Derek Brendale, Jennifer Rolnick, David Sis, Jeremy Manita, helping behind the scenes. Big thanks to our guests, Michael Grange, Natalia Chanwa, Joe Wolfon, 
I'll talk to you soon.